Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Hey, this is great, man. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Tuesday, July 12, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. We are back in beautiful, legal Potland, Oregon, on the 26th floor of the Ardea Condominium Towers, overlooking the Willamette River and looking straight on to Mount Hood. Although we can't really see Mount Hood today, it's a little bit cloudy today in the middle of summer here in Portland, just like it was back in Vancouver, British Columbia, where this weekend I got to attend the Cannabis Hemp Expo And most importantly, I was the guest of two of Canada's most prominent marijuana reformers. The Prince of Pot, Mark Emery, had me up, and uh, he got me a place to stay with Dana Larson from the Sensible BC and uh, Overgrow the Government campaigns. So uh, in one fell swoop, I got to meet uh, both Mark Emery and Dana Larson. We're going to talk all about my visit to Vancouver, British Columbia, which was my first ever visit to Canada. Can you believe that? Four dozen years old. It took me this long before I made it to Canada. So we'll talk about the Great White North coming up in hour two. Plus, we've got some highlights from the Cannabis Hemp Expo coming to you here in hour one. We'll be uh, speaking with Andrea Herman. She is probably the leading expert on industrial hemp on the planet. And uh, we'll talk to her in our activist agenda at half past. We'll also have time today for a radical rant where I ask and answer the question, will legalization kill the pot festival? Whole lot of festivals, whole lot of expos happening. Are there too many of them? Are we getting too saturated? We'll answer all those questions when we come up to the radical rant at the end of the show. We'll also take uh, your questions on that as well in our live chat room right here on CannabisRadio.com. Also on the show today, we're going to have a little example of our Cannabis Chronicles with uh, Travis Lane. He's from the Cannabis Growers Association of Canada. Also has some other things that he's involved with, including InternetDispensary.com. So we'll talk to Travis here in our Cannabis Chronicles. That comes right after our Behind the Headlines segment. And in the segment today, I'm going to give you my thoughts on the resignation, the retiring from activism of Normal's Alan St. Pierre after a quarter century of service to those of us who are fighting adult marijuana prohibition. I'll give you my thoughts uh, as to uh, his departure and what this means for the future of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. But first, we start things off as we always do with the Cannabis Radio News. Lots of headlines to get to that went down while I was on my semi-annual two-week vacation. We've got California on the ballot with marijuana legalization. That's some great news. Massachusetts looks like it's cleared to make the ballot for marijuana legalization as well. In Denver, we've got the good news of a ballot initiative that's gone down in flames, one we didn't want to see pass. We'll tell you the details. In Washington, D.C., the Supreme Court has dealt a blow to medical cannabis patients in the big sky state of Montana. And we'll wrap things up with the other 
Portland, Portland, Maine, where their Department of Health doesn't think medical marijuana can help a particular condition. We'll tell you which one when we come back. That's all coming up on the Russ Belville Show, back live from Portland, Oregon, into our next 800 shows. We're having a good time. And don't forget, uh, Marijuana Election Night this year, our live coverage is going to be wall-to-wall, and we are going to have live coverage from every state that is voting on some sort of marijuana reform. Looks like we might have eight, nine, maybe even ten states to cover this year. It just gets bigger and bigger. So excited to be back. Thanks for joining us here, right here on CannabisRadio.com. We're back right after these messages. Please patronize our sponsors. Keep us on the air. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You're going to be a great granddad. Pretty cool. Morgan is Ray Dawn's son. Uh, Morgan and his wife, Tracy, they've been trying to have a baby for quite some time. <laughs> Did you hear what I said to Morgan? What? Do you know who the father is? <laughs> the Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, July 12, 2016. Sacramento, California. California voters will decide whether to legalize recreational marijuana after Secretary of State Alex Padilla said Tuesday that initiative proponents turned in more than enough signatures to place the question on the November ballot. A successful vote in California would mean one in every six Americans lives in a state with legal marijuana sales, including the entire West Coast. 
The initiative is promoted by a well-funded and politically connected coalition spearheaded by former Facebook president Sean Parker. It also asks voters to allow people 21 and older to buy an ounce of marijuana and marijuana-infused products at licensed retail outlets and also grow up to six pot plants for personal recreational use. Sales of both recreational pot and medical marijuana initially would be subject to a 15% excise tax. Cities and counties would retain the right to prohibit pot-related businesses and to impose their own fees and taxes. Initiatives allowing for adult use have also qualified for November ballots in Nevada and Maine. Boston, Massachusetts. Massachusetts' highest court on Wednesday cleared the way for a November ballot question on legalizing small amounts of recreational marijuana, but it ordered changes in the wording of the question's title and the brief statement that explains the measure to voters. The justices, in a unanimous decision, said the current title and statement were clearly misleading, though otherwise found no reason to disqualify the proposal from the ballot. The ruling from the Supreme Judicial Court came hours after supporters of legalized pot turned in more than 25,000 additional certified voter signatures to the Secretary of State, well above the 10,792 needed to assure a spot on the ballot. The measure would allow people 21 or older to possess up to one ounce of pot for recreational use and impose a 3.75% excise tax on retail marijuana sales on top of the state's 6.25% sales tax. A state cannabis commission would be created to regulate the drug, ruling it would be unfair and clearly misleading to call the measure simply marijuana legalization. The Supreme Judicial Court ordered the title change to Legalization, Regulation, and Taxation of Marijuana. Denver, Colorado. Marijuana opponents in Colorado's anti-pot bill have given up on a plan to ask voters about requiring less potent pot and telling pot shoppers that the drug could cause brain damage and paranoia. Backers of the pot potency measure announced Friday that they're unable to raise enough money to advertise what would have been the most serious attempt yet to roll back Colorado's 2012 pot legalization amendment. The measure was cleared for the ballot last month by the Colorado Supreme Court, but its supporters said they could not raise enough money to advertise it. Supporters called on elected officials to, quote, recognize the harm that legalized pot has had on our state. End quote. A marijuana industry group formed to oppose the measure applauded the decision Friday to abandon the potency campaign. Washington, D.C. The Supreme Court won't hear an appeal challenging a Montana law that limits medical marijuana providers to selling the drug to a maximum of three patients each. The justices on Monday let stand a Montana Supreme Court ruling that upheld key provisions of a state law that rolled back much of the 2004 voter-approved initiative legalizing medicinal marijuana. The Montana Cannabis Industry Association said the rollbacks would force the closure of dispensaries and leave patients without a legal way to obtain the drug. The new restrictions are set to take effect August 31st. Portland, Maine. The state says the science just isn't there to allow opiate addiction to be treated with medical marijuana. Maine's Department of Health and Human Services has denied a petition brought forward this spring by Dawson Julia, who runs a medical marijuana caregiver business in Unity. Despite its, in its denial, the agency said though animal studies and individual letters that Julia submitted suggest medical marijuana has potential to treat opiate addiction, there aren't yet human test studies published that support such treatment. The agency noted Julia didn't present information information on appropriate marijuana dosage or safety protocols. However, it noted that human trials are underway and chronic pain can be treated with medical marijuana in Maine. Julia said he was disappointed but will work with lawmakers on legislation to allow such treatment. 
This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, July 12, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we're going to talk about the departure of Normal's Executive Director, Alan St. Pierre. It's news that broke while I was on vacation, and I heard about it probably before anybody else aside from the National Normal Board. Uh, but I waited a couple days before uh, breaking the news on CannabisRadio.com and MarijuanaPolitics.com. And it's a, it's a bittersweet uh, departure with Alan St. Pierre leaving normal. On one hand, I think, I think there is a time that needs to be that, – that we need to evolve, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to get to. And the leaders of all three of the major organizations – Alan St. Pierre for Normal, Rob Campia for MPP, and Ethan Nadelman from Drug Policy Alliance have been there for a long time. Alan's been there for 25 years in various capacities and 11 years as executive director. And as the times change, as the uh, industry becomes legal, I feel that it's time for the activist groups to maybe reinvent themselves and understand that their mission needs to 
evolve along with the evolving marijuana industry. Now, that is not to say that Alan St. Pierre isn't prepared to do such a thing or could be effective in doing such a thing, but sometimes there comes a time when there needs to be a change in leadership. Alan's leadership has been phenomenal. For 25 years, during some of the toughest times at Normal, he's been one of the most quoted the most prolific reformers out there. You'd see him on all sorts of cable news shows. You'd hear him on all sorts of local radio shows. I don't think he ever turned down uh, interview opportunity to promote marijuana legalization. But as we move forward, there is an issue that really needs to be addressed when it comes to marijuana activism. And that of course is funding. Now, when marijuana legalization was the only game in town and when it was an activist game that was being played, it was a bit easier to try to motivate people to want to contribute to groups like normal because it was all in our own best interest to want to contribute money to fight to change the laws so that we'd no longer get arrested. But now as marijuana becomes increasingly legal, especially after this 2016 election, it becomes incumbent upon groups like normal to expand their mission. Yes, normal will still be relevant in states like Texas and Missouri and Florida and so forth, where they're fighting to get marijuana laws reformed, as the name as the name says, National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. But those laws will also still need to be reformed in the legal states, places like Oregon and California and Washington and Nevada and so forth. And in those states, normal has to adopt a bit of a different messaging and has to understand that there are now. There is now competition among many groups for activist dollars. There's, there's cannabis industry associations. There's grower guilds. There's every element within the cannabis industry that is being, uh, that is being recognized. Normal, I believe, needs to invent, reinvent itself as the cannabis consumers and cannabis lifestyle lobby. In a sense, to become the ACLU of marijuana, to become the NRA of marijuana to continue to advocate for lower prices, better quality, for equalization of cannabis consumers with our beer drinking friends to the point where we don't lose our jobs just because we're cannabis consumers or we don't lose our child custody where we're not treated any differently just because we're cannabis consumers. And that's where I think this change in leadership uh, may be a good thing. And again, not to say that Alan St. Pierre's contribution to this wouldn't be valid, but sometimes you just need an under new management sign to revitalize and reinvigorate some of the people that have been working for an organization for a long, long time. As we continue to move forward, Normal will continue to advocate for cannabis consumers. And like I said, it needs to make sure that its focus is on the average cannabis consumer. The industry is going to get plenty of representation. The growers, the extractors, the testers, the infused product manufacturers, the edible makers, all of them will have natural allies, natural advocacy organizations that spring up as sort of trade organizations naturally do. And we're starting to see minority uh, associations and women's associations, but again, still focused on the business side of things. Let's let normal move forward to be the consumer side of things, the social side of the marijuana industry, to continue to recognize that there are still civil liberties that need to be fought for. Those marijuana entities that are fighting for the dollar, they're going to have plenty of success. 
We need to make sure that the marijuana activists who are still fighting for liberty continue to have plenty of support as well and to encourage the industry to donate to those organizations. Man, I'm not going to any more of these bullshit Puno parties. <laughs> President Obama's getting uh, mighty relaxed in these last few months of his uh, term, isn't he? Well, we got folks that are chiming in in the chat room about uh, Bernie Sanders' endorsement of Hillary Clinton today. I'll have some talk about that in hour two as well. It's not the worst thing, but it's not really unexpected. We kind of thought this was going to happen, but doesn't mean we have to be happy about it. We're back right after this. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News. Presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific during the Russ Belleville Show. Or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a Resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has National Resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. said that when there's a gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. Today, we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Cannabis Chronicles. Today in the Cannabis Chronicles, we take you to the Weston Bayshore Hotel on the uh, seawall there in Vancouver, British Columbia for the Cannabis Hemp Expo. And it was my first exposition and in fact, my first ever visit to the country of Canada, much less the city of Vancouver. Got to say, it's a beautiful city. Reminds me a lot of Portland, uh, 
if Portland was a ocean port city. <laughs> the weather was very similar. We had rain on the first day and kind of scattered sun on the second day. And weed was everywhere to be found. Despite the fact that Canada hasn't officially legalized marijuana yet, there was a plethora of dispensaries to choose from and many of them that will take you if you are 19 or older, no questions asked, no medical needs necessary. So it's a pretty liberalized city. We got to speak to many of the vendors there that are helping to uh, break through the federal bans on cannabis in the nation of Canada. One of them was Travis Lane from the Cannabis Growers Association of Canada. Welcome back, everyone. Radical Russ here at the Cannabis Hemp Expo, Vancouver, British Columbia. And we've hit upon the desk for the Cannabis Growers of Canada and the Internet Dispensary. Dot com. Uh, joining us here is Travis Lane. Hi, Travis. How are you? Good. Thank you. So let's tackle these one at a time. Let's start with Internet Dispensary because that's on your shirt. Uh, that sounds pretty self-explanatory, but what's going on? It's pretty straightforward. Internet Dispensary is exactly what it sounds like. It's a dispensary that's run from the Internet. We do mail order across the country. We don't ask for medical screening. We, do, we sell to anyone 19 plus. We just ask for proof of age. Um, our focus is on bringing craft and artisanal cannabis producers from B.C. to the entire country. Um, we source all of our product locally from small growers on Vancouver Island. None of our product comes from further away than BC. And it's all small batch, small run producers that really care about the product they're putting out there and have fallen through the cracks of the MMPR system. So anybody in Canada, 19 and older, just go to internetdispensary.com and you'll take care of them. Absolutely. We just ask that you said proof of age so that we know you're over the age of majority. Um, other than that, I mean, you're free to order within a couple of days. You'll be approved as long as we see your identification. We carry everything from flowers and edibles to tinctures and oils. Um, we do carry CBD products. We carry pretty much the whole gamut that you would expect in a dispensary. And we believe that it's like cultural and therapeutic use should be widespread and available. And that the medical system right now doesn't actually define medical cannabis in any logical way. So we're just putting restrictions on people accessing this this completely harmless plant, really, um, by creating something like the MMPR or MMAR, which requires licensing that's unexplained. The medicine's not privy to Health Canada coverage. Like, there's just a whole lot of problems with it. So we just decided it was time to get this out there, try and bring tested, quality, craft product to anybody that's uh, that's old enough to make decisions for themselves, basically. Wow. I love your attitude. does sound like a bit of a renegade, though. Is this something that the federal government is uh, very fond of? You might be uh, taking some risks here. Well, I'm definitely taking some risks. I'm a long, like, I'm a lifer in this industry, so I'm used to taking risks. I also am a licensed grower under the former system, under the MMAR system. So I've been through the rigmarole rigmarole of the government. I know what it takes to get a license. I'm sure the feds don't like what I'm doing, but that's part of the reason I'm being so proactive with things like we're fully tax compliant, we're fully insured, we have credit card and debit processing that know what we do, we have a shipping contract. You know, we are trying to be as open as we possibly can about what we do. We're also working very closely with a new analytical lab here in Vancouver based out of UBC. That's a cannabis-only lab that's been accredited by Health Canada that's third-party audited. As far as I know, they're the only cannabis-only analytical lab in Canada. And so we're looking to work very closely with them to establish testing standards and quality assurance standards that don't rely on having someone inspect every grow area. You know, it's like there's not someone walking through every hothouse to inspect all the tomatoes before they get to market. Let's find a way that we can do it that puts the onus on us in the industry to make sure our products are safe and then regulate from there. If they have too restrictive of a regulation, our black market here in British Columbia is just going to continue. And so what we try to do is we try to be proactive and 
do what we want the regulations to look like in the future. And if that's unacceptable to the government, we'll deal with that when the time comes. We also have a lawyer retained, so we're ready for that. <laughs> but I, I believe that, like, you know, if you come to me and you see that I'm doing business like every other good acting business out there, except for I don't have a license for cannabis, it's going to be hard to convict me or shut me down. Right. And we've seen so many times, uh, I'm coming to you from the United States, yep. we've seen the prosecutions for Harborside and Oakland and other, other these other people that are trying to act within very limited sphere of acting, and they always try to put the best foot forward. You know, uh, so many of these guys get caught up on tax charges yeah. or zoning or something that's not even cannabis related, but easier for them to prosecute. So good on you for that. Uh, tell folks the contact information and Facebook and all for Internet Dispensary, and then we'll get to the other one. Okay, so Internet Dispensary, you can come to internetdispensary.com. Right now, we only ship within Canada. Um, the sign-up process is a piece of cake. You just go to the sign-up page. Send it in. We'll send you an email asking for your identification, and then you're signed up. You can shop away. You can reach me directly at Travis at internetdispensary.com. For general inquiries, you can get info at internetdispensary.com as well. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter as at iDispensary. Um, we're on Instagram as Internet Dispensary as well. Um, we shouldn't be too hard to find throughout social media. We're getting pretty active these days. That's awesome. All right. So the other thing we've got here is the Cannabis Growers of Canada. So uh, tell us about that. So the Cannabis Growers of Canada, we're a group uh, that's looking to represent those in the cannabis industry who run small, medium-sized businesses, those who are producers under the MMAR, extractors that, again, focused on this craft and artisanal side of the industry that's been left out from the MMPR. And so we focus on three primary things. One of them is obviously getting politically involved and political lobbying. Um, that's something that everybody's got to come together to do now in Canada because the regulations are coming up very, very shortly. And, you know, the government, the federal government, as I interpret it, is going in a bit too of a restrictive way to have any real impact on the black market. So if they make it that restrictive, nothing's going to change here in BC. We're not going to get regulated, but we're not going to stop. And that is not fulfilling any of the goals that they set out when they looked at legalization. Uh, the second thing we do is we try to focus a lot on business-to-business -business relationships. So in this business community, a lot of us have trouble getting bank accounts and credit card processing and stuff like that because business licenses aren't widely available yet and it's not legal yet. So we've been actively speaking with banks, with processors, with testing labs, with all of these different peripheral businesses uh, to make sure that our members and our small businesses have access to things that are absolutely crucial for them to operate. And then finally, we do a lot of networking within the community. So we bring a lot of dispensaries, extractors, and growers together in one place, try and get them all working together towards a common goal, all finding good business opportunities that will help line their pockets as well. And it, it's it, we're trying to be that trade group that sort of represents the actual business side of it, you know, where... Where are people struggling getting in? Where are the barriers to entry? Why do people have trouble operating legitimately? If we can fix those problems, then I believe that the legal stuff will sort itself out. Far out, man. So uh, this is the Cannabis Growers of Canada. How do we get in touch with you on that group? So you can reach the Cannabis Growers of Canada on our website. It's cannagrowers.ca. Or you can reach Jacqueline, our Director of Outreach, directly at Jacqueline, which is J-A-C-L-Y-N-N, -N, at cannagrowers.ca. All right, you got it all here, folks. Cannabis Growers of Canada and the Internet Dispensary. Travis Lane, thanks for talking to us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Great time there in Vancouver, British Columbia, the Cannabis Hemp Expo. My pictures are available if you go to photos.radicalrust.com. You can see some photos from the event. And if you'd like a copy of this interview or any of the others that I did, you can always email me, radicalrust at gmail.com, and you can spread these interviews far and wide. 
Speaking of interviews, we got a great one coming up next. Andrea Herman, hemp expert extraordinaire, back from Japan and South Korea. She's going to give us an inter- uh, an update on the international hemp scene. I'm a little out of practice, aren't I? <laughs> We're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I said, on this program, what do they want? My grandchildren and the monster. (sighs) Did I scare you? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Get Dot Buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. Dot Buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. This weekend I was in Vancouver, British Columbia for the Cannabis Hemp Expo, and they certainly had a lot of emphasis on the hemp side of things. Of course, the nation of Canada has had legal hemp cultivation for years, while the farmers south of the border in America have been denied that right. But hemp has also been cultivated in many other countries around the world, and there's nobody who's a bigger expert on the international affairs, on the international status of industrial hemp than our next guest, Andrea Herman. She's with numerous uh, hemp groups, and she'll give you the uh, the names of those groups in the interview. But uh, she makes a good point of 
covering the Far East in this interview. We talked a little bit about South Korea and Japan and their burgeoning hemp industries and what it's going to take to get the ball rolling here in the United States of America, including what the newest uh, applications of industrial hemp may be, uh, including a question on hemp battery technology. This is Andrea Herman this weekend from Vancouver, B.C. Welcome back, everyone. Radical Russ here in Vancouver, British Columbia at the Cannabis Hemp Expo, and I've run into international hemp expert Andrea Herman. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing real good. It's nice to be back in Canada and looking forward to getting home to Manitoba. No doubt about that. You were just recently in the uh, Korea area. Tell us about your trip to the uh, Far East. Yeah, so I had the opportunity to go to Korea, South Korea, and then over to Japan for the Kyoto Hemp International Forum which was phenomenal. It was a great event, and it's really interesting to see now the growing market for hemp foods, not only in Korea, but the demand that's growing overall, like in Japan in addition. Uh, So at this uh, international event, most of the countries participating have some sort of legal hemp uh, industry, right? You know, a lot of the panelists came in from around the world, so included Ben Dronkers, myself, we had a woman from Thailand, Olive, uh, Paul Benheim was there, Paul Stanford was there, so they really brought together, but a lot of the people that attended in Japan, they were from Japan, they're very interested in changing the regulations because right now it's really geared towards cultivation underneath very strict regulations or for the imperial family only. And I found it really interesting that our translators, when we went to talk with the translators before we presented, she didn't even know what hemp was. So you're talking about a culture that's so ingrained in hemp history and people don't even know what it is. So there's a huge education piece there and it's now really starting. It's very grassroots and amazing to see the first lady of Japan come to the event with the high priest and the mayor of Kyoto standing out and fighting for the rights of cannabis and saying this is right, we should have access and change does need to be made and she came there. So that's really good message to drive home. This is kind of off on a tangent, but uh, you mentioned Japan. I think Fukushima. Is hemp being involved in any fight or remediation there? People are investigating and seeing what can they do and how can they, if hemp is the right crop for that, how do they dispose of it afterwards? So definitely a hot topic and know something that, you know, is going to move forward there. It's investigating what crops, not only hemp, are going to be part of that solution. You also mentioned uh, the demand for hemp foods. Is that the big driver in those markets, and is it different from continent to continent? Well, as we've seen in all the news reports coming out, especially about South Korea, is it's the home shopping network. So you have a massive, huge buying power of people that are women, mostly, that are staying home and they're shopping, but however you can get it in. So if you're talking maybe 20% of the population is buying off of the home shopping network, and they're buying a lot of hauled hemp right now. A lot of hauled hemp is going over there. So if they're buying it and they can get 20 more of the retail shelf market, that's really going to put the, the you know put them on the mark of really being the largest consumer of hauled hemp foods right now, you know, around the globe. One of the uh, amazing developments that I followed uh, just by covering the news 
was this research on using hemp in batteries as, as a replacement for graphene. Are there any updates on that technology that you can tell us about? Well, I tell you, that stuff's changing every single day. Part of it is, you know, looking at the fiber quality, the reading process, and the processing. So the research is coming out saying, yes, it's absolutely possible. Now we need to get all the back-end infrastructure in place to actually help drive that. And then also looking at, you know, the craft paperwork that's going on. Very, very interesting on the construction side. I mean, you sort of name it, people are dreaming it, and they're doing it. Well, you know, when I think of hemp, I think of you, and and you probably know everything there is to know, but like you say, it's changing so fast. What in the past year or so has come to your surprise in the world of hemp? Like, just shocked you? Oh, wow. Um, You know, riding, like, on the hemp composite bike, you know, things are really practical to people. I think that makes sense. All the regulatory change and and, and the inventiveness that's gone on in changing what the agronomic and agricultural landscape looks like for industrial hemp production. Because we used to be able, we used to say always, oh, well, you'll never, you will never be able to, like, you know, to plant your marijuana looking like plant in my hemp field. Today, we know industrial hemp is being grown for flowers. It's an entire shift in the agricultural landscape of what it means to be a hemp cultivator or a hemp farmer. Is this or in reference to those uh, CBD-derived type of things? Oh, yeah, or maybe people that are going for terpenes also. I mean, it's not just okay. about CBDs anymore okay. either, right? I mean, of course, that's a major driver right now, but absolutely. So you look at that type of production, and you look at what the classic fiber and grain seed production it's very different. The labor needs are different. So these are things as we start to look at what goes into that market. Well, what do we need to help support that? And in that infrastructure, you know, do we have the people to work those fields that need to be worked in a different kind of way versus just seed it and walk away in 110 days as you come back with your combine and harvest? And, and uh, so we're back here in Canada. Uh, Canada's got legal hub cultivation, but what sort of problems does Canada still need to solve? Well, we need a regulatory review that we've really been fighting for through the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance for some time now. We're finally getting a really good legway and having the message heard that we need some reform looking at particularly like total crop utilization. So right now we're not allowed to work with the flowering parts or the leaves. So how do we get that from the hemp industry? Especially when we have a fully developed medical cannabis industry here that is able to work with the flowering parts and the leaves and create products that are now being pretty much sold on the retail market and online direct to people. So how do we put a balance in those regulations? How do we start decrimming our farming producers? How do we streamline our paperwork? And then how do we also look at things like derivative testing? Because right now as a hemp food processor in this country, every batch you have to have a THC test done on it to show your hemp protein powder, your hemp seed oil, your hauled hemp, your toasted hemp is 10 parts per million or less THC. That test costs you 200 and some odd dollars a test. And, you know, when we don't have a checks and balances, actually, to come back and say, what is all of those results? And we're saying since 1998, we've been growing hemp made into foods from this percentage of THC in the plant. Why should we we still be required since 1998 to test for THC in a batch hemp food product? So these are some regulations that cost our industry money. They keep the stigma up about THC as a danger in hemp foods. But now as the hemp food market changes and new processes come on, we have to look at those new processes and say, how do we prove that those processes are safe for people to eat in the eyes of some sort of ready-made food regulation? And that comes into ready-made food regulation. So now we're talking about the food industry. So there's a lot of work to be done. And, you know, really important is getting hemp registered as an animal feed for livestock. 
We need to be able to feed our chickens omegas that not only come from flax, but omegas that come from hemp. Yeah. And we need to be able to look at silage and what that means for the dairy cattle industry in this country. And there's research to help support that. So those are some really major initiatives. And, of course, our farmer support, because without our farmers, we are not in the industry anymore. So plant variety trials, agronomy trials. And that's all steered from the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance and their conferences in November in Saskatoon. So we're really looking forward to like continuing that work here. Final question, just a quick update on the United States. What's happening with hemp there uh, in various states and, and federally? Yeah. Well, of course, we have the Farm Bill, so now we've got research going on in multiple states. Legislation is changing every day. The government is coming more on board about how to support those farmers because they are farming land and needing to apply for grants and applications and those things, so it's a lot coming on. And now we're seeing the DEA really coming on board and helping facilitate that, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the regulatory framework federally for industrial hemp, opening up more commercial market and, you know, across border exchange and how, and now we're seeing, you know, every state is coming on and saying, hey, look, this is something we've got farmers here. So how do we start these variety trials so that our farmers know that cultivars that they're going to be growing are going to do what they intended to do? And also a huge opportunity for infrastructure, fiber processing, and really developing, you know, and and finding that missing link, and that missing link brings in opportunity. So much opportunity coming in the world of hemp. Thank you for keeping on top of it. And before we go, just could you tell folks uh, any contact information or websites they could uh, look up to get some more information? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm Andrea Herman, so you can always just Google me. I'm out there. Uh, You can check us out at Hemp Technologies, The Ridge Consulting, and Hemp Production Services. In addition, if you're looking to get involved, definitely go to VoteHemp.com. Go up to that Take Action tab and take action. You know, talk to your community and really ask your elders about their hemp history because that's a part of taking that knowledge and passing it on, and that's what we want to see. We want to see the elders coming forward so the next generations understand that this was something that was always with us. Hemp Heritage, folks. Look it up. Andrea Herman, thank you so much for talking to us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Russ. Have a great time in Vancouver. Well, I sure did have a great time in Vancouver. My thanks to Andrea Herman for stopping by to talk with us while we were there on the floor. We've got more of those highlights coming up in hour two. We're going to speak to a few more of the vendors. We've got AC Braddock, the CEO of Eden Labs, the extraction company. Brock from Mota Cannabis, he will be speaking to us. And we'll also hear from Gabrielle from Apothecary Labs. They've got a new product for dogs and cats, little CBD treats for them that can help them out a lot, especially the older pets in your life. But coming up next, it'll be time for the Radical Rant, and uh, I'm calling an audible. I'm switching the subject. Legalizing drugs won't cure America's racism, but it sure will help. That's coming up next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. The cannabis industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. 
Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Well, last week we had two tragic events, two tragic killings of young black men by police that were caught on video, one right after the other. We had barely even started the hashtagging of Alton Sterling's execution in Louisiana, when the very next day we are shocked by the news of Philando Castile's execution in Minnesota. And also lost in the, in the midst of those events and the Dallas shooting of the five police officers, uh, we have a, another event that didn't get a whole lot of coverage, but in Atlanta... In Piedmont Park, there was a case of a black man found hanged from a tree. The authorities there said they found no evidence of foul play, and they're ruling the death a suicide. Sure, it's a suicide. Sure it is. Suicidally depressed African Americans in the Deep South always like to hang themselves uh, in public where they could be stopped. Public suicides are all the rage. Yeah, sure. Right. Some strange fruit indeed. 
course, uh, we know the stories by now. Alton Sterling, he was selling CDs in front of a convenience store with the permission of the store owner, by the way. The police had a report of someone menacing people with a gun at the store. What had happened, some homeless guy was bugging Alton Sterling. Sterling had a gun that he was carrying in his front uh, 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 waistband of his pants and lifted his shirt to show the gun. Didn't even pull the gun out, but just lifted his shirt to show the guy, hey, stop fucking with me. I got a gun. Now, the homeless guy is the one that called the 911, and that's when the cops showed up to see what was going on. They confront Sterling, and when the video picks up, we find Sterling is on the ground. He's got cops with a knee in his back. One of them's got a knee on his arm. The other one's got his hand controlled. And then we see Alton Sterling get shot point blank by the cops and killed. Now, the cops are saying, of course, that Sterling was reaching for his gun, the gun in his waistband, apparently. How he was doing that with two cops holding both of his arms at the same time, I'm not exactly sure. So the other story, Philando Castile, was even more horrific. He's pulled over with his girlfriend. She's got her four-year-old daughter in the back seat, and he's allegedly pulled over for a broken taillight. The cop asks him for his license and registration, according to his girlfriend. The uh, victim, Castile, uh, informs the cop he's got a licensed concealed carry handgun. Castile's obeying the cop and reaching for his documents when the cop opens fire. With the four-year-old kid in the back seat, by the way. And Castile is bleeding out when the video starts. And his girlfriend, calm beyond words, uh, unbelievably calm, is describing how the cop shot her. And we can still hear the cop in the background, obviously still panicked. Now, the story coming out from the cops on that one is that Castile had matched the description of an armed robbery suspect from earlier in the day. Matched the description, of course. And in both of these cases, we're talking about responsible, law-abiding gun owners. Louisiana is what's called an open carry state. In Louisiana, you can just carry a gun. You don't even have to get a license for it. You can just carry around a gun. So Sterling was perfectly within his rights to be carrying the gun. Now, whether he, whether flashing it at the homeless guy is provocation or not is another story. But he was within his rights to carry that gun. And Castile was a licensed concealed carry holder. He was following the gun laws of Minnesota to the letter, even going so far as to inform the police he was holding which the concealed carry holders don't have to admit unless the police specifically ask them in a lot of states. He admitted he was armed to try to de-escalate the situation before it had even gotten escalated. So where's the NRA on these, huh? Where's the NRA, right? Well, don't be holding your breath waiting for the NRA to cry out over the violation of these men's rights to keep and bear arms. It's almost as if the NRA is still using the original constitutional definition of the people. Maybe Sterling and Castile would still be alive if they'd only been carrying three-fifths of a gun. All right, all right. Let's table the gun control discussion. About half of us in weed reform are for it. About half of us are against it. So let's not try to solve that problem right now. But let's, let's at least all try to acknowledge that there's something racist going on. When a white guy shooting up a theater is taken alive by cops, and we call him crazy, and we say, well, guns are just inanimate objects. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. 
But when it's a black guy legally carrying a firearm and not even shooting anybody, the mere existence of that gun is reason enough for cops to kill him. What happened to guns don't kill people. People kill people. Which is it? Is it an inanimate object or an inherent danger? Well, apparently, if you're white, it's an inanimate object. If you're black, it's an inherent danger. Now, what does this have to do with marijuana? (laughs) Neither of these homicide victims, nor the suicide victim, nor the uh, sniper killing the cops in Dallas, none of them apparently had anything to do with marijuana or drugs for that matter. So what does it have to do with us? Well, it's simple. The war on drugs is just the latest incarnation of this symptom of America's original sin. Our shameful racist history that spans from chattel slavery, through Jim Crow, through redlining, through drug war policing that consistently and overwhelmingly ensnares people of color more often than not. Now, the drug war doesn't create the racism. However, it is the product of it and one of the tools that maintain it. The early 20th century prohibitions didn't demonize the drugs so much as their users. The cocaineized Negroes, impervious to police bullets, super powerful. The diabolical Chinese who were addicting the white women in the opium dens. And of course, the job-stealing Mexicans who smoked the loco weed. Then later in the 20th century, the drug laws were knowingly crafted to undercut the flower power and black power movements of the 1970s. We found that most recently in Ehrlichman's quote from the uh, Harper's Magazine piece. They knowingly did it to undercut leftist and black power movements. But while the drug war is the tool that turns the pretext stop into the stop and frisk, the mechanism that decimates black neighborhoods and families, and the engine that funds racist law enforcement, Ending the drug war itself without addressing the drug war's purposes will do little to end racism. We need only look at the results of legalization in four states and D.C. so far. Yes, it is an unimpeachable positive that we've dramatically reduced the arrests and prosecutions for marijuana. I mean, since those disproportionately affected people of color, the overall arrest reduction will largely consist of minorities. However... We've also found that for the marijuana crimes that still remain, such as public consumption or unauthorized sales, the citations and arrests are still disproportionately black and Latino. Clearly, the whole legal system is racist. It doesn't seem to matter which laws are passed or broken. It always seems to screw over the black people. So we must begin a truth and reconciliation process to deal with our racist legacy, much like South Africa went through when it threw off apartheid. Part of that must include ending our racist war on drugs and beginning a top-to-bottom reboot of our law enforcement practices. We can't strive for our more perfect union and establish and ensure domestic tranquility when our citizens are more likely to be burglarized by cops than robbers and more likely to be shot by police than by terrorists. This cannot stand and we must end it. And the drug war, I've, I've been seeing a lot of re- responses on this where they say the drug war caused the deaths of, the, of these men. And in a sense, it begins this escalation. The drug war becomes part of the hustle. 
Alton Sterling was doing the hustle. He was on the underground economy trying to sell CDs. Eric Garner was in the underground economy trying to sell cigarettes. Black men forced into an underground economy oftentimes because of a lack of opportunities in the legit market or the black mark of having a drug conviction on your record that prevents you from achieving those other opportunities. And as the drug war continues, the gangs that sell the drugs have to get better and better weaponry to protect themselves from other criminals. As they get better weaponry, the cops have to get better weaponry to deal with the gangs. And it continues a a drug war arms race, an escalation where both sides are terrified of each other and citizens are caught in the middle. You can't end racism by ending the drug war, but you won't end racism without ending the drug war. That's all the time we got for Hour 1. Stay tuned. Hour 2 is next. More highlights from Vancouver, British Columbia. For everyone here at Cannabis Radio, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tope. I inhale. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can toke and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the enema man and Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Honey, is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, everybody. Welcome to Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. We're back and better than ever in Super 3D. <laughs> oh, did you miss me these last couple of weeks? I missed y'all. I tell you, whenever I, I have a two-week vacation every six months. I do one around the 4th of July. I do one around Christmas. And uh, every time, every time I take a two-week break, I, I'm... I'm excited about for, for about the first three days. 
for about the first three days of not doing the podcast, I'm like, ah, oh, wow, what a break. And then about that fourth day, news is backing up and stories are happening and I get all antsy. I'm like, oh, as it was during my vacation, I published the news on Alan St. Pierre resigning from normal and spent this past weekend uh, getting 18 interviews and I think five different panels on the in the uh, Vancouver uh, conference. So even even vacationing, I'm working. What a great vacation, though. Got to tell you, a thrill to meet Mark Emery. It was just great meeting Mark Emery and hanging out with him and a true celebrity in uh, in the cannabis culture and in Canada in general. You know, I, I've been around a few celebrities. I've uh, been lucky to be around a few celebrities. I remember my last time with Tommy Chong. And when you're around someone who's like that, it's interesting because they of all the attention they get. You know, people said, hey, how you doing? Hey, Tommy. Hey, Tommy. And then want to talk and get autographs and stuff. Mark Emery's got that same level of fame. He's Tommy Chong famous in Vancouver, B.C., right? He can walk around anywhere. And it's like trying to get him somewhere is almost impossible because everywhere you're going, someone's stopping him and wanting to thank him and wanting to talk to him and everything. And then good on him, too, because he did his five years and he's given millions and millions to marijuana legalization. So uh, it was just a, a great thrill to be able to experience that. The downside of it, though, <laughs> and, and I'm kicking myself for this. I never did get an interview with him. <laughs> he, neither Mark nor Dana Larson. I, I actually spent three days at Dana Larson's house and didn't get an interview with either of them. And it's one of those situations where you're there and, you know, you've got all this time with them and you think, oh, well, we'll just get it later. Like, there's always something happening. Like, I first get there, Mark's like, oh, well, let's go get something to eat. Okay, let's go to dinner. And the next day is like, oh, well, let's go to the expo. And, oh, let's go here. And, and before you know it, uh, I'm on the train back to Portland and I don't have an interview with Mark or Dana. So we'll get that fixed. <laughs> we'll get that taken care of. Cause I, I promised y'all I'd be bringing you uh, an exclusive interview with Mark. We were going to be taking a walk. We had planned a couple of times. We were going to take a walk along the seawall, this beautiful, you know, uh, pedestrian walkway, uh, in, in Vancouver. Uh, and we were going to take that walk and do a casual interview while we strolled along and, well, time just got away from us, so we never got it done. But we will get it done. Um, I'll be heading back to Vancouver at least in October for the International Cannabis Business Conference. Maybe before then, because I really liked it up there. Interesting things about Canada. First of all, Canada, your money is beautiful. What gorgeous money you have. See-through money, folks. If you haven't seen the, the latest Canadian bills, uh, you got to check those out. Those are cool. I also love the loonies and the toonies. Love the $1 and $2 coins. I wish America could get behind that and be more coin-oriented. Nothing I hate worse than a wallet stuffed full of ones. <laughs> Just kind of a pain. It did make me wonder, what do you tip a Canadian stripper? I guess you have to tip them a five, right? <laughs> because you can't put the little $1 coins in the... Anyway, <laughs> I, I didn't get to find out. Other things that are interesting in Canada. You know, in Canada, when they, uh, they list out an address, they list the suite or the apartment number before they list the address. Kind of makes sense. Go from the most detailed to the least, right? From suite all the way up to country and postal code. That makes sense. Hey, we'll talk a little bit more about Canada and my experiences this last weekend when we come back from break. we got to pay some bills. Make sure you patronize our sponsors and keep us on the air. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We need to build a wall. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Good to be back here from Vancouver, British Columbia. Spent the weekend up there. Guests of Mark Emery and Dana Larson attended the Cannabis Hemp Expo. And we've got more highlights from the Cannabis Hemp Expo coming up in this hour. You'll get to hear from A.C. Braddock. She's the CEO of Eden Labs, the extract company. We've also got Brock from Mota Cannabis Products. I'm a big fan of Molta. I know you are, too. Also, coming up in the third segment, Gabrielle from Apothecary Labs. They've got a great product for your dog. CBD treats for dogs. Loving that. And uh, we'll have more. Uh, We'll also have some panel discussions. We'll bring you an all-star Canadian panel discussion that took place uh, yesterday. It was the last discussion. We'll have that on tomorrow's show. It included Jody Emery, Mark Emery, Dana Larson, and Mark Hayden, I think his name was. Uh, All experts uh, up there in Canada and the latest on what's going on with Health Canada, the Liberal government, and Justin Trudeau's promise to legalize, how that affects the UN treaties, what U.S. legalization will do to Canadian legalization and so forth. They covered it all. We'll bring that to you on tomorrow's show. Also coming up later this week, we'll have another Cops Say Legalized Drug segment coming up for you on Thursday. So stay tuned for that and more great guests as we get them booked here 
on the Russ Belleville Show. And remember, if you've got a great news story or a great guest who should be on the show, you can always send me an email, radicalrus at gmail.com, and that'll get it right to me. I answer all my emails, so or I, I should say I get all the emails. I can't really say that I answer all of them, but uh, I answer most of them. And uh, if you've got a great guest, we'll take a look and uh, see if we can get them added to the show. Got all sorts of changes happening here. Uh, first of all, we lost our phone number. Doggone it. Our 971-533-7111 phone number. It was a Skype voice number. And somehow my Skype subscription ended. And when I re-upped uh, that Skype subscription, it wouldn't let me have the same old phone number. So going to work on getting a phone number again. And I think I'll work on getting a... Uh, getting us a uh, uh, toll-free number for you to call, something easy to remember. And that way, if the number behind it ever changes, it'll be easy for us to uh, just keep going with the same toll-free number. So stay tuned for that. Also, if you've been visiting the RadicalRest.com site, you may be going, what the hell is there a post up for Measure 80 in Oregon? What's going on there? That was 2012. Well, folks, the reason is, is because the weed blog... And the guys at the Weed Blog, who had been hosting my uh, websites, they have moved on from the Weed Blog. And so now the Weed Blog is owned by a different set of people, and I'm boycotting the Weed Blog. So I have deactivated some of my content on RadicalRust.com until I can get my website moved over to new servers. I've got a meeting with... Um, with my friends, my IT guru genius type friends tomorrow, and we'll get something worked up. Hopefully by the end of the week, we'll get the RadicalRust.com page back up and running. So many changes going on, and I got to say the, uh, the Vancouver, BC event was a lot of fun. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Tony uh, from OneLoveJoyRide.com. I didn't get to do an interview or anything with him, but he really deserves a shout out. And if you're going to be in the Vancouver, B.C. area and you want to have a little party bus, you want to get a hold of my friend Tony at One Love Joyride. He's got one of those big, you know, commuter. Uh, what are they, the, um, you know, those buses they have, to, the shuttle buses they take you from the airport to the airport parking lot, those big, tall suckers. He's got one of those. Right. And it's fully vinyled out. In the Rasta colors. It's mostly black, but it's got the, the red, yellow, green Rasta colors and the Lion of Judah and all that kind of stuff going on it. One Love uh, Joyride.com. And then inside, he's got it apportioned with, you know, red carpeting and nice seating and, and flickering lights and the DJ booth and the, and the reggae music is going and a, a top vent. And it's, of course, toke friendly. So it was so nice. Tony took us around, took uh, me and a group of mostly ladies, so I, I enjoyed that too, <laughs> took us around Vancouver, uh, all around the, uh, the bay there. Is it a bay? I guess it is. Uh, all around the water. We stopped at various sightseeing locations, took photos, and smoked a whole lot of weed while we listened to reggae music. So check them out, Tony, at onelovejoyride.com. If you're in the Vancouver, British Columbia area, and uh, you're looking to rent out a party barge, or a party bus, I should say, uh, get a hold of Tony. If you'd like his phone number, just uh, send me an email, radicalrus at gmail.com, and I'll get you Tony's number, and uh, you can have yourself a good time there in Vancouver. Also got to see the uh, the Cannabis Culture Headquarters and their toking lounges on two different floors. They got a second floor and a third floor place where you can vaporize, you can smoke, you can dab. They got candy bars for sale and drinks and so forth. 
a lot like some of the other cannabis lounges I've been to, and it just blows my mind to think that Washington, Washington, Oregon, and Colorado can't see how beneficial these lounges are and, and what a good thing they do for the community. Anyway, we'll talk more about that, but right now, we're going to turn you back to the Cannabis Hemp Expo, where I had a chance to speak to a lot of the vendors on the floor. One of my favorites, a friend of the show and one of the strong female CEOs in the industry, A.C. Braddock from Eden Labs was there. We got a chance to talk about extraction technology and what's happening up there in Canada. We turn things back to the Cannabis Hemp Expo. Welcome back, everybody. We're here in Vancouver, British Columbia with A.C. Braddock, the CEO of Eden Labs. How are you doing? I'm awesome, Russ. How are you? Uh, is this your uh, first event in Canada? Been to Canada a few times? Um, we've been associated with Canada for quite a number of years, starting back in the early 2000s, actually. But um, this is a really great show. It's a really nice size, and uh, people coming by are really engaged and educated. It's I'm very happy. It's a great show. For the uh, small minority of people listening that don't know what Eden Labs is all about, give them the basic thumbnail sketch. Oh, yeah. Um, so Eden Labs has been making uh, extraction and distillation equipment for about 21 years. Yeah, we got a, a, a nice backdrop here of one of these big things. I always, When I see these things, it always makes me think of like the Terminator movies. It looks so steel. and, and, and uh, So the business has been just booming, I imagine. Yeah, it's been really great. I think uh, people are really starting to catch on to the concept of where, not just for cannabis, but where all your food is coming from, how it's grown, how it's processed, what it's processed with. Um, mission of our company is across industries to be able to help educate on that. And of course, the cannabis industry is perfect. It's calling attention to all of those things. It's, I look at it as more of a big social movement and very, very proud to be a part of a that and the safety and issues along with that. You know, we're seeing uh, as the states are legalizing uh, a lot of different regulatory systems. We've got California on deck uh, for legalization plus yeah. four other states. What is it looking like as far as you know the business side of this and being able to uh, promote your products and, and this side of the industry with these upcoming states? Does it look good? Oh, yeah, of course. And like I said, people are becoming a lot more aware of how their food is made and processed. So um, as far as our business goes, it's definitely gaining more attention and the development of our systems and being able to service the industry um, now and where it's going to be in a year, two years, five years from now. It seems that the... uh the extraction, the concentrates always generate a lot of headlines, a lot of publicity, and some controversy, both with the uh, illegal manufacturers that are doing it the wrong way and blowing, place, blowing stuff up, but also the potency. We, we saw an attempt in Colorado to limit potency. Uh, uh, speak to those issues and, and how you think regulators should uh, address these issues. Well, I'm a big proponent of whole plant. So to me, um, the plant is perfect in and of itself and it shouldn't be compartmentalized and we should be um, looking at it as um, from its nutritional and medicinal values as well as because I believe recreational is just another form of medical anyway I mean it helps you keep you with your sleeping or makes you happy or helps you relax it's all doing something medical to you so as far as the regulation going forward, we're kind of in a scary place as far as uh, deschedulization in the states and what's going to happen with that. 
Um, hopefully there will be two paths of nutraceutical and pharmaceutical. So we will have a choice. Customers will have a choice. Consumers will have a choice of like being able to still access it. But I really believe that our endocannabinoid system, um, you know, obviously everybody's endocannabinoid system is different. Some people produce cannabinoids really well and some people don't. But I think eventually it's, you're going to start looking at this like vitamin C. Yeah. That it's you know it's something your system's lacking and you should be able to have access to it. I'm glad you brought the vitamin C analogy in because I often when I hear the prohibitionist types, the ones still trying to keep it illegal, they'll say, "Well, there may be components in cannabis that are medical, but the plant can't be." I'm like, "That's like saying vitamin C helps you, but an orange doesn't." Exactly. <laughs> no sense whatsoever. So, are you speaking at this event? I am. I'm speaking on an extraction um, today and then tomorrow on environmental sustainability in the industry. Those are some great topics. We appreciate that for sure. Let's give folks some contact information or websites for Eden if they want to learn more. Yes, we just um, came out with a new website too. And yeah, I really really love the way that it looks, but there's lots of great information. It's EdenLabs.com and we are based in Seattle and our uh, toll-free number is 888 Two seven. Oh God! What is our phone number? I never call it. Eight eight eight. Go to the website. There is, a, you know, there's contact forms there. It'll get you there. This is the this is the difficulty in the digital age. All our phone numbers are saved. You, you don't remember a single one. I know. Fortunately, I remember my husband's. So. Uh, listeners out there, I encourage you to write down your lawyer's phone number somewhere on your oh, body. Yes. <laughs> There are some who call me Tim. All right, that sound means that it's 20 after the hour. Time for our 420 break here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest where it's mostly cloudy. No rain right now, but um, a little herb will make that feel just fine. Got to get to a safety briefing. I hope you've got a safety briefing to get to as well. Be safe out there, folks. Be right back after this. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry. It's temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, more flavor. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org. 
an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com. And you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Well, like I said, this weekend I was in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia at the Cannabis and Hemp Business Expo. And this marks the 22nd event I have covered in just 28 weeks this year. (laughs) I counted them up. Uh, These have taken me from Miami to Anchorage and from San Bernardino to Boston, crisscrossing the entire continent. And it already matches the 22 events that I covered coast to coast last year. I mean, this marijuana festival and expo circuit continues to grow. Not just the number of festivals, but how large they are and really their quality is growing as well. There are now more marijuana events than I have the time and budget to even attend. And while I was up there in Vancouver, I'm interviewing the vendors in Vancouver. It's July. They're already talking about the next expo that's coming to town in September. And then that one's followed by the one I'm going up to, the International Cannabis Business Conference, in October. So we got three major business expos in four months in just one city. That's not even legal yet. They're focusing on the impending marijuana legalization that the Liberal Party has promised. And we can expect that these business expos are going to proliferate in advance of the new business opportunities in cannabis. This past two years, I've covered three such events in Florida. That's a state that's gearing up for medical marijuana. But I've also been to a business expo in Fort Worth, Texas, a place where legalization feels very far off. They're not even up to medical yet. So in this world of increasingly commercial cannabis, what happens to the pot festival? This year's the 25th anniversary of the Seattle Hemp Fest. Washington is into its fourth year of legalization, and there still remains a lot for the Seattle Hemp Fest to protest against. The legislators and regulators up there have run roughshod all over the medical marijuana program. They've deprived the neediest patients of their most cost-effective relief, and they have deprived adult personal use consumers of any public place to exercise their legal right to toke. And other festivals are still going strong, such as the Boston Freedom Rally, the Ann Arbor Hash Bash in Michigan, and the Great Midwest Harvest Fest in Wisconsin. But as their states adopt marijuana legalization, they're all going to face a transition from being activism-focused protests to community-oriented celebrations. 
And this it presents an important change in framing. If we continue to present an anti-authoritarian festival or rally in the context of fighting an unjust marijuana prohibition, that's fine. But that comes off differently than if we're presenting the same optics and sound bites in the context of a community celebration. Now, I know we don't want to lose our identity, but we also want the public to think that legalization was a good idea and that we are a good community. It also becomes more difficult to get reform messaging across to large festival crowds. I mean, back in the day, it's call your senator, tell him to support marijuana legalization. That's a pretty easy between-set speech a little easier than trying to get into the details of a particular regulation that needs tweaking or a zoning change that needs to be applied or a tax rate that needs to be lowered. For the audience, for a lot of them, their ability to just go to a pot shop and buy some weed and toke with impunity, it kind of dulls their resolve to get involved with further reform. For a lot of them, they feel the battle is already won. And then there's the the dilution factor. As marijuana becomes more legal, it will become more a part of other events. Someday, there's not going to be much difference between a pot festival where you go to see some bands and a music festival where you go to smoke some pot. Yes, there there will still be pot festivals, even under, even under legalization. I mean, we still have beer and wine-themed festivals in a world filled with alcohol-permitted events. But how much activism do you find at those beer and wine festivals? Now, the marijuana protest festivals, the pot fests, uh, the cups, and so forth, these are going to evolve in stark contrast to how the world of cannabis business expos will evolve. Going to one of these business expos is already a pricey affair, whereas most of the festivals are free and rely on donations. And already, as I attend these events coast to coast, I see a class divide forming in the world of weed. And I can only see this widening as more of the prospectors in the green rush start cashing in. There will come a time where activism at a cannabis expo will be as incongruous as an ACLU booth, an ACLU booth at a boat show. Don't see a whole lot of those. The more it becomes all about business, the less it'll be all about activism. So, will legalization kill the pot festival? Well, Denver, Seattle, and Portland are three of the most legal marijuana cities on the planet, but they've gone out of their way to make pot festivals impossible there. And yet, at the same time, they've been welcoming to the non-toking cannabis events. At this weekend's business event in Vancouver, the high-end waterfront hotel even provided an alternative smoking area out front, right where the valets and the cabs were dropping off customers. So if we're going to keep activism as part of the core of these events, then it's incumbent on this fledgling cannabis industry to ensure that activism remains a part of the events. It is activism that created the industry, after all, and only with more activism will we achieve the worldwide market in cannabis that everybody in the industry craves. So long as the industry recognizes that we activists demand the right to cultivate our own cannabis, and so long as the activists recognize that the industry wants to promote responsible use of cannabis, 
if we can band together with their money and our vision, we're going to be unstoppable. And that's what I want to see. I want to see a cooperation between the industry and between activism. I want to see the people that are making the money in the green rush reinvest that money, at least some portion of that money, into the activist groups that made their industry possible in the first place. There's good actors out there, and it's incumbent on us as cannabis consumers to find them, to seek them out, and to patronize their businesses and their brands. Let's make it a death sentence for a cannabis brand to not be involved in activism. Let's make it a part of their balance sheet, a part of their financial planning to understand that the contribution they make to activism repays their business many times over in customer loyalty. Together, like I said, our vision, their money, we can end this prohibition well within our lifetimes in the United States and maybe throughout the world. Speaking of the rest of the world, we're going to go back to Vancouver, British Columbia, where I was at the Cannabis Hemp Expo, and we've got another vendor interview for you. This is Brock from Molta Cannabis Products. Welcome back, everyone. Radical Russ here in Vancouver, British Columbia at the Cannabis Hemp Expo. And I'm here at MultaCannabisProducts.ca. And a gentleman with a Molta shirt, Brock, is here with us. And he's got it's the uh, the Mexican Day of the Dead kind of look going on here. How you doing, Brock? I'm doing very well, thank you. So, uh, all sorts of, he lured me in here with the promise of uh, gummy bears. Obviously appealing to the youth people. <laughs> Tell us about what you got going on. Uh, sure. So Mota is an edible company. Uh, we produce medical edibles for a range of uh, people and products. We have like 90 varieties. We also do topicals, uh, have an organic line, a vegan organic line, as well as our best-selling jellies. They work really, really well. I'm, I'm really into topicals right now, to tell you the truth. Me, myself, I bud tend most of the time, so I deal with a lot of different folks, uh, and Right now, I've been noticing a lot of folks coming in looking for a topical solution to their pain issues. Yeah. Great I, I, way to get into it. Yeah, for sure. I, I was fortunate enough to catch uh, Congressman Dana Rohrabacher in the United States sure. admitting to his use of a topical. Sure. My mom, she's 69. She swears by them. I bring them back to her all the time. So you feel this is like a way that we're kind of breaking through to the older demographic. Yeah, so exactly that. Uh, where I bud tend, actually, I would say the demographic is 45 and older. Uh over a thousand members right now and definitely a lot of females as well i have a majority of my members are chronic pain patients uh and the majority of them are not first-time cannabis users but what we what would i say would be an unexperienced user someone who's used to using cannabis in the non-medical sense of the way or has in the very past yeah. so introducing them to really interesting products that are both finished really nicely taste great and the topicals smell amazing and work is uh, is a great way to exactly the breakthrough in the new market. So topicals really not scary. I can put it on your hand right here, and within a couple of minutes, you might start feeling some results. So that's like, wow! If I can get that from this, what else am I missing out on? And then we work into CBD a lot of the time, and then start into the THC later down the road. But it's exactly that. It's a it's a slow process. It's an organic process, and if your bud tender is uh, responsible. Then they'll take you through the step-by-step if you're an unexperienced user. But if you're an experienced user, we have tons of stuff, too. 
Well, I got to say, uh, the little shot of gummy bears, they're very tasty and crunchy, too. Kind of got, got like a, a sugary crunch on them. Yeah, so those are vegan organic, which is sort of neat for the marketplace. I love having an option for the uh, the people who are vegan nowadays because there is so many of them. And, and it's a great lifestyle, I guess. I don't know. I, yeah. I still eat meat. I, I, get, I can't give up bacon myself. But I'm from Portland, Oregon, so we have a ton of vegans. And so this is something that's going to really uh, appeal. I see all sorts of stuff here. I like these balms and creams. I heard overheard you talking to someone about how these would be useful uh, for tattoos. Oh, yeah, sure. So that's great. Cool. Uh, I actually, I'm really into topicals right now. I've been using the balm as my tattoo goo, per se, as a replacement. I find it heals my stuff way faster. Uh, it holds the color better for some re- weird reason. And uh, it's get, I get this, like, tingly feeling when I use it. It's like, I don't want to say it's healing it, or, but I guess it is. I don't know. It's, uh, it's magic, man. We got um, caramel cheddar popcorn, cotton candy. The cotton candy's crazy. Uh, 100 milligrams, 180 milligrams of THC in the cotton candy. Now, this is something we're finding in... in in the states is we got a lot of the states that are uh pushing for these limits of 10 milligrams and stuff yeah so i got a perf- that's perfect example i'm really into responsible bud tending and making sure that over medication doesn't happen especially with new clientele because the easiest way to lose a client and lose someone to the marijuana is like hey i i over ate that and i had a terrible experience i'm never using that again i'm going to do something else uh, which yeah. usually is opiates which sucks because that's hard on the body uh so really great is Wait, it's just dosing is talking to the patient about the dose they're about to take. Starting low and going slow. It's really simple. Most, most of the time when someone comes in, and I think you heard me talk to somebody about it already, uh, if they're unexperienced with cannabis and they want to get into eating THC, I usually try to start with a 10 to 15 milligram dose. I do that for a couple reasons. I'm in Canada, so we're a little different in the terms of our regulatory system. Yeah. Sort of different. I'm in a gray market, per se. Uh, but I still like to use the analogy of Colorado and how they brought in the 10 milligram per unit. Not saying that's the best way for all people to medicate, but saying it's a really good starting point for an unexperienced user. Fantastic. It's MOTA, M-O-T-A, CannabisProducts.ca. Is there any other contact or product info you want to give out? Our VHO bot, uh, what's it, at VHO Bot Adventures. you got to check that out. I've got that, that little VHO bot, man. Is, he's running around with me all over the world right now. It's great. Right on. Thank you so much, Brock, for talking to hey, us. Yeah. This is an awesome setup you got here. Cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I hope to see you again. More fun there at the Vancouver, British Columbia Cannabis Hemp Expo. We've got all of those interviews uploaded to my SoundCloud page, but they are private. If you'd like to be able to get at any of these interviews or the entire set list, just let me know. Send me an email, radicalrest at gmail.com. I'll send you the secret link. Those links will be free for now, but uh, we are slowly but surely upgrading to the new RadicalRust.com platform where some of this on-demand stuff will be pay-per-click or available to VIPs only. And for you VIPs that emailed me about your pins and stuff, uh, I've got the new batch of pins ordered. They're on the way, and when I get them, I'll be sending them out to you. Stay tuned. We're back with our third segment and more from BC after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. 
I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Tennessee's Congressman Steve Cohen. Well, you know, marijuana is a gateway drug, and kissing is a fake gateway activity to sexual addiction. U.S. Representative Jared Polis. Yes, we really have a growing group of, uh, of representatives that um, support decriminalization. It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, FiredUpLawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email FiredUpLawyer at gmail.com. Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. 40 after the hour here. Got another 20 minutes on the show. And don't forget on uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday here on CannabisRadio.com, make sure you stay tuned live after my show for the Stoner Jesus Show. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, live on CannabisRadio.com. And then on Wednesdays, following Stoner Jesus at 6 o'clock Pacific Time, 9 o'clock Eastern, the Tommy Chong Podcast. So uh, great stuff, and you can find more podcasts on CannabisRadio.com for every niche that is available in the cannabis community. We've got medical, we've got business, we've got aficionado, we've got growers, all sorts of stuff going on. If you're interested in having a show on CannabisRadio.com, we can accommodate you as well. So send me an email at russ at radicalrust.com. I'm sorry, make that radicalrust at gmail.com. I'm not sure if the... RadicalRust.coms are coming through right now. RadicalRust at gmail.com, and we will get you taken care of. So excited about what's coming up here. We've got all sorts of votes that are happening for marijuana legalization across the country. And some good news on some votes that won't be happening. We just got the news that that uh, Colorado initiative, the uh, I think it was 137 they were calling it, and it was uh, going to limit THC potency in marijuana products. And folks, we are going to get into this in the legal states over the remainder of the 2010s, I believe, and leading into the 2020s, especially after this election, which I predict we will see a sweep. I think all the states that are voting on reform will win. 
I think they will all win if they make the ballot. I think it'll be nationwide like a referendum on the war on drugs. And, and such overwhelming numbers passing legalization in California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine. Passing medical in Florida, Arkansas, and Missouri. Reaffirming medical in Montana. I think if all of those pass, and I think they will. When all of those pass, it will be such a devastating blow to marijuana prohibition that it will be unable to recover. And that state after state after state will begin to change their laws. And it's something that I asked uh, Rob Campia at the last event I did, the NCI event. And he kind of, he kind of dodged, the, uh, dodged the question. And the question was this. It was that with medical marijuana, we saw a kind of a reduction in our liberty as it got more and more legal. You know, we started with California. Anything a doctor wants to give you weed for, any amount of weed he says is okay for you to have or to grow, it's all good, right? The most liberal, open-ended medical marijuana we've ever had. And then as it got legal in more and more states, the next states, Oregon and those guys with their initiatives, added condition lists and, you know, possession limits and cultivation limits and so on. And then as we got to the states that don't have initiatives and they had to pass them through their legislatures, they got more and more watered down. They got to become no home grow or no plant at all. You have to have, you know, tinctures and edibles, non-smokable forms and so forth. And so when I asked Rob about that, I, I followed up with, so is that what we're going to see with legalization? Are we going to start with what is relatively good legalization in the four states that have it now? And then as it continues to be legalized, is it going to get more liberal or more restrictive? And in answering the question, uh, Campia went on about understanding the difference between states that pass it through the, uh, the initiative process versus states that pass it through the legislative process. The implication being that, hey, you're going to have to give and take a little. You're going to have to give a little more on the legislative ones because you don't have the threat of initiative to get what you really want. You have to kind of get what you can get. And I could have pressed him a little harder on this. Listening to the interview again, I, I'm upset that I didn't follow that up with, well, wait a minute. Arizona was an initiative state, and, the, and yet you guys went forward with a 25-mile halo rule that forbid home growing. Nevada is an initiative state. And yet you're implementing a 25-mile home-grow halo from the pot shops that will exist in Nevada. I mean, this, this excuse that, well, the legislative states, we have to give more. I'm willing to accept that because, yeah, it is legislative and, and you have to build coalitions and get things passed. But we were already giving up crucial liberties in initiative states as well. Now... Of course, the reasoning behind that can be, well, we polled it and we found that this wouldn't work. We had to poll this to make sure that this would work. Problem is, those, those excuses don't really hold water when we start to see the evolution of these plans and to see how in Arizona and in Nevada, it was existing medical interests that have, that have had influence on how these initiatives have been crafted, not just legislative actions. So... So as we continue to legalize, will it get more and more restrictive? Well, Maine is already looking to be the most lenient one if it passes, when it passes. 
two and a half ounces of possession and like 12 plants, 12 mature plants and unlimited seedlings and pot lounges and delivery services and all sorts of great stuff. But as it gets more legal, as we get these low hanging fruit, the West coast and the Northeast, how does legalization start to look when it starts to hit the Midwest, the the Michigans and the Wisconsin's and the Iowa's, how does it look when it starts to hit the South? Are we going to see a situation where some of these States follow in Washington state's footsteps and establish no home grow legalization with severe DUI penalties involved? Could they even go further than Washington state and institute some sort of quota or buying limit for people that, that tracks how much they use? Could we have a system where like Uruguay, where the government requires adult tokers to have to register with the state? There's all sorts of ways legalization could continue to happen in America and yet become less and less free in that uh, type of legalization. And it'll be hard for us to oppose it because what are you going to do? Keep arresting people? You'll have to stand once again in that, in that difficult position of do I support the status quo or do I support incremental change? You think stoners against legalization is bad now? Wait until the 2020 election. Wait until they start to have the legitimate argument that, hey, it's more free, it's more legal in other states, and nothing bad's happened. Why are we starting off with such a restrictive legalization? That'll become a more legit argument as time goes on. So we've got those things that we have to worry about. And then, in the states that do pass legalization, we're going to have what I'm going to call the trap laws of legalization. Do you know what trap laws are? Uh, target something abortion providers, target and, and restrict. I think that was it. Target and restrict abortion providers. It was basically the pro-life people, which I like to call the anti-women people, the pro-forced reproduction people, the pro-government broodmare people, uh, realized that they couldn't overturn Roe v. Wade. They, 40 years, 45 years, and it's an established right for women to control their reproductive futures, and it's become frustrating to them. So what they've done is with these trap laws, they've instead of going after the women or the doctors, they go after the clinics by coming up with these weird restrictions, like your hallways have to be eight feet wide so you can get two gurneys through at the same time despite the fact nobody's on gurneys in these places, that, you're, that you have to have a doctor that has admitting privileges with, to a hospital within 30 miles. All these different little restrictions that don't target the woman's getting of the abortion or the doctor's giving of the abortion, but the facility at which the abortion was going to take place, we make it impossible for them to exist. And this had worked to great, uh, great design in Texas in threatening to close down almost all, every clinic. And so, of course, uh, Justice Sotomayor wrote that amazing uh, decision that came out a few weeks ago that said, look, if any, any of this stuff you're doing, you've got to show a medical purpose for it. And since colonoscopies uh, clinics have outpatient clinics that are far more dangerous than a woman getting an abortion, and you're not requiring these, uh, uh, these uh, <laughs> butt doctors. <laughs> what's, the, what's the word? Not urologists. Uh, Oh, well, (laughs) since you're not requiring them to have admitting privileges, you're not requiring their clinics to have eight foot hallways and such. You can't do the same thing to an abortion clinic. Okay, so that's what a trap law is. It's a law designed to pick away at a right by making it impractical or impossible to exert that right. That's what we're going to see happen with cannabis. 
We already saw the first shot over the bow with this restricting THC potency thing that thankfully they couldn't raise enough money for in Colorado. But we're going to see laws like that. We're going to see ways of trying to just chip away, chip away at what rights we do have. Chip, chip, chip away. And that's going to be something we're going to have to be cognizant of and find new methods of fighting against. You know, uh, some of our, our current arguments like marijuana is safer than alcohol or uh, it makes no sense to jail people for a plant. Those won't be effective when we're no longer jailing people for a plant and we're treating marijuana legally. We're going to have to find way, uh, better ways of convincing people that we're infringing on vital civil liberties. It's not just a matter of protecting the society. We're talking about protecting people's individual rights as well. And that's always a harder sell than, than the big massive, oh my God, we're jailing people for weed. A lot of people that are voting for legalization, keep in mind, they don't particularly like weed or the people that smoke it. We've just convinced them prohibition is worst. So that does not necessarily bode well for them supporting further liberties once it's legal. Already, just the idea of setting up pot clubs for some of these people is, is freaking them out. Which is weird, considering they seem to accept bars in every neighborhood, <laughs> multiple bars in some neighborhoods. Buildings designed with the express purpose of people driving there to consume alcohol, a deadly, dangerous, and addictive drug. And then we trust them to just drive their cars home and judge themselves whether or not they're sober enough to do so. They got no problem with that. But the idea that, oh, my God, there might be a building where people go to it and smoke pot. <gasps> oh, horrors. So we got a lot of fight still left here in the legalization game. It's my hope that as we move forward, organizations like Normal will start taking those kind of items up. Start recognizing now that it's a time to go on offense. We don't have to be on defense anymore. We can go on offense and demand our rights. I'll be here the whole time. I'll be covering it, and I will help in any way I can. Let's take some time to go back to Vancouver, British Columbia to close out the show. We visited with Gabrielle from Apothecary Labs, who has a great new product for your pet. Check it out. Good day, tokers and toquettes. Radical Russ here for my first time ever in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We're here at the Cannabis Hemp Expo, and I've come upon the desk of apothecarylabs.com. Tell folks your name and what is Apothecary Labs. Hi, my name's Gabrielle and my partner, Tammy. Hi, how are you? Apothecary Labs is a front runner in Canada of the finest edibles and medibles and topicals been around for a couple of years we're sold in dispensaries from coast to coast and uh, people love our products because they work everything's lab tested and yeah i see all sorts of great stuff here some sodas and some uh, this almost looks like a can of shinola <laughs> tell it's us about this one of our new lines we're doing a cbd shaving so for Jan's, absolutely amazing. You're going to have to try some. My husband started using it, and his 5 o'clock shadow now stays away for two days. It's amazing. He doesn't need to use the aftershave anymore, and I like touching his face more than ever. So there's a lot of fringe benefits with that one. Yeah. And uh, what else do we have here on this side? Well, our flagship product is our microdosing honey that our seniors really love because, of course, they don't usually have much experience with THC. They don't want to get high. So 
Um, we introduced the cannabis medicine to them through a microdosing uh, honey, and it works amazingly well. You don't need a lot of THC to tickle your endocannabinoid system and wake it up and make it work. And so this is uh, the first product that we started with. It's our flagship product. And then uh, we just kind of expanded to our tinctures, olive oils, coconut oils, topical creams, our beverages. Um, we make a beautiful uh, balanced 10 and 10 and 5 and 5 CBD THC can of caps. And uh, they're flying off the shelves. Nobody else seems to have this. Um, and, uh, yeah, once people try it, they just love the balanced feel of it. And, and another front runner is our pet line. So we make uh, our CBD enhanced dog treats where actually that's where we met. So if people want to go to our website, apothecarylabs.com, we actually met in the dog park. And we know that animals have the same endocannabinoid system as humans, so we started the dog treats. And the testimonials make us cry almost daily, helping so many dogs, giving their lives back, which then we're giving people their babies back so they're happy. And we also have a tincture. Wow. You know, I, what attracted me to your booth is this, uh, this stand-up, that dog looks just like my dog. I have a, a Jack Russell Terrier named Roth. Well, he's a Jack Russell. But from this angle, it looks a lot like him. And uh, he's like, um, God, he must be 16, 17 years old now. He's getting no, really old. So. Wow. Yeah, so I, I'm thinking, you know, i got oh, to take some of those with me. <laughs> for sure. So uh, for our listeners out there, you know, a lot of American listeners might not know the laws and how this all works. Where are these things available and who can get them? Uh, they're available in dispensaries across Canada from Victoria to Nova Scotia. And um, anybody that has a license currently in Canada that can shop in a dispensary, a license from their doctor, uh, can get our products. Does that include the uh, pet stuff? Um, yeah, you don't need a license to buy the pet. <laughs> say, the, the dog, dogs have to be at least three years old or older. Got to be 21. <laughs> And coming soon, we're looking at expanding out into the states. So we're in talks for uh, one of the states down there, and we're waiting for after the conference. We have meetings down there, so we will be down there, we're hoping, by September. Fantastic. So it's apothecarylabs.com. Uh, you can look it up on the Internet. And is there any other contact or Facebook information you want to give out? Uh, Apothecary Labs on Facebook as well. We post daily uh, just with good scientific you know, information for people. And we are on Twitter and check out our Instagram. We got a huge amount of followers because our pictures are super fun. All right. Well, thanks for talking to us here at the Cannabis Hemp Expo in Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm Radical Russ. We'll be back right after this. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today for this episode of the Russ Belleville Show. Great time in Vancouver, British Columbia. Got a question from the chat room. Where did I get my preacher suit? It was uh, Universal Life Church, which I think you can find at www.themonastery.org. That's right. I'm an ordained minister in the Universal Life Church. If you'd like me to preside at your wedding or other official ceremony, baptisms and so forth, I am available. Seriously. I will come marry you if you want me to. <laughs> That's all the time we got for today. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be back from vacation. We go on to show number 802 tomorrow. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.